What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. If you're a mom today, could you imagine receiving these words in your card for Mother's Day? Mom, you're seriously the best mother anybody could ask for. You're beautiful on the inside and outside. Although, I have noticed Team Wrinkle has been showing up more in your countenance lately. Here's some wrinkle cream to help you conquer old age. How would you like that for Mother's Day? How about this one? Hey, Mom, just wanted to wish you the happiest Mother's Day. One of my fondest memories growing up is when you were teaching me how to clean the house. I don't know why, but I could never measure up to your standard. So I got you some new supplies so you can make sure my house stays as clean as yours. (laughs) Or how about this one? Happy Mother's Day to the most responsible and respectful woman I know. I just can't figure out how, but you seem to always brighten up my cat, dog, and iguana. So I have decided to just gift them to you. You'll find them in the backyard when you get home. Since you're more responsible, you got more money, and have always respected my decisions, I figured it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah, I'm sure if you're a mother today or a grandmother or a future mother or future grandmother, those are not the words you want to hear on Mother's Day. But as we think about Mother's Day, I begin to ask myself a question. Which character in the Bible could we look at to try to glean more wisdom from in our Christian life? And the person that kept coming to my mind is Sarah. And so today, I want to talk about the faith of Sarah. And before I do, let's kind of get context here of what's going on in the book of Hebrews. Of course, we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. I lean towards the Apostle Paul, but scholars debate about that. But what we do know is that when we get to heaven, we will know that God wrote that book through a human penman that is unnamed. But as we come to the book of Hebrews, from the very first chapter all the way to the very last verse of the 13th chapter, we, we will study about how the Bible is reiterating the fact that Jesus is greater than everything that the Old Testament had to offer. And then, as we come to chapter 11, this is a chapter about faith. And, and many times, as we come to Hebrews 11, we think about these giants of the faith, like, you know, like Abraham and, and about Enoch and, and Noah and, and Moses and, and some of these others. But what's interesting is when you go back into the Old Testament text and you begin to try to unwrap what the Bible says about these characters, is you'll realize that these are characters who didn't really always have a lot of faith. They had a little bit of faith. And so is the case with Abraham and Sarah. Now that being said, today the the key thought that I want to relay to all of us, that is if we walk away with anything as we study the life of of Sarah and the faith of Sarah is is, is in verses 11 and 12. This is the thought that we are going to pull from in these two verses, but God is a strength empowering, faithful trusting, promise keeping God. In fact, if if Sarah could have an epitaph on her tombstone, I believe that is the epitaph that would be written 
on her cemetery plot. God is a strength-empowering, faithful-trusting, promise-keeping God. Now, that being said, the key question I want to ask us all today is simply this. What lessons of faith can we learn from the life of Sarah? Sure, we can go back and we can study this Old Testament narrative in the book of Genesis, but in all reality, so what is the big deal? What is the big deal of these three or perhaps 4,000 years of of history between us? I mean, why would we study this ancient text if we're not going to try to seek to apply it to our life? Now, that being said, I think it is important that we notice that in verse 8, the Bible mentions Abraham. And, and, and to be quite frank with you, we cannot study the life of Abraham without studying the life of Sarah. And to be also as quite frank with you, we cannot study the life of Sarah without studying the life of Abraham. They're in a sense like peanut butter and jelly. I know it's a poor illustration, but they go together well. And if we call Abraham the patriarch of our faith, and as Paul writes in the New Testament, he speaks about how we are, in a sense, the spiritual seed of Abraham, and we, in a sense, are grafted into the promises that God gave to the Old Testament Israelites, even in the New Testament. Then if we call ourselves the sons and daughters of Abraham, and if Abraham is the patriarch of our faith, then surely we should be able to say that Sarah is the matriarch of our faith. Now, the Bible never used those exact terms, but it is the obvious truth. And so that being said, I want to take us back to Genesis. And if you've ever studied the life of Abraham and Sarah, you know that their life occurs between the last portion of Genesis chapter 11 and to Genesis chapter 25. And in these passages, in these chapters of Genesis, we read about how Abraham was 75 years old, When God called him from one country to leave everything that he ever thought of and knew and to go to another country that he was not familiar with. And Sarah was 65 years old. There was a 10-year gap between their ages. And they go from Haran to go into the place of promise. And God established his covenant with them. In Genesis chapter 11, we read about Abram's father, Terah or Terah, however you want to pronounce it. And it's just a genealogy listing there. And then in chapter 12, we read about how God literally calls Abraham, or Abram, and they pass through the land of Canaan. And then they they sojourn in the land of Egypt, where Abram asks his wife Sarai to tell them that, hey, tell them you are my sister. Because listen, the Bible says that she was a very beautiful woman. And normally if a king, a king in that age, in that time, had a lot of power. And a lot of times they would take a wife and make them their own. And so he said, tell them you are my sister. And which is a partial truth and a partial lie. She, in fact, was his half-sister. And time's not going to allow me to dive in to the apologetics of that. But, but you can talk to me after the service and I'll explain the details there. But anyways, there... Deception is involved in chapter 12. And God miraculously spares that situation. And and in chapter 13 of Genesis, the Bible says that Abram and Sarah returned back to Bethel. But after some tension, they separated themselves from their relative name, Lot. Maybe you've heard that story. And then Lot departs. And then God promised Abram to look to the north, to look to the south, to look to the east, and look to the west. And anything that he saw was going to be his. 
In a sense, we have God promises him this land. In Genesis chapter 14, Abram wins this battle against five different kings, and he rescues his relative Lot, and he meets this guy by the name of Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem or Jerusalem. In chapter 15, God affirmed the unconditional nature of his promise through sacrifice. And then in chapter 16, 10 years have transpired since chapter 12. And so now, Abraham is 85 years old. And Sarah is 75 years old, and they have gotten a little impatient on God's promise that he made to them. And so Sarah goes to, to his hus- her husband and says, Abram, um, why won't you go into our maidservant, Hagar, and have a son, have a child? Because if you do that, she will, the son will still be considered my son because she is my servant. And so foolishly and unwisely, Abram did that. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 16, we see the tension that is still alive today amongst the Israelites and the Palestinians in the Middle East. In chapter 16, 13 years later, Ishmael is born to Hagar, Abram's servant. And in this chapter, God establishes this sign of circumcision to reaffirm his covenant with Abraham and Sarah. And then he changes their names from Abram to Abraham and from Sarai to Sarah. Chapter 18, you remember this story of all the ones. These three men, which turn out to be two angels and and a uh, Christophany of the Lord Jesus Christ, or a theophany, that is a bodily manifestation of God in the flesh before he came 2,000 years ago. And there they, they meet with Abram, and Abraham asks his wife Sarah to fix some food. And in the middle of all this, they reaffirm that Sarah is going to have a child. And of course, Abraham laughs, and Sarah overhears the conversation, and she laughs. Chapter 19, we read about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. Chapter 20, Abraham sojourns in Gerar and and informs King Abimelech that Sarah is his sister. Again, he makes the same mistake and demands his wife to say, hey, tell him you're my sister, even though it was not a full lie, it was a partial truth, and deception was involved. And God spared the situation and gave grace. In chapter 21, 25 years after God made the promise to Abraham and Sarah, God gave them a child by the name of Isaac. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. And unfortunately, tension was so severe from the day that that Hagar gave birth to Ishmael until this very day, there was so much hostility and jealousy, jealousy and, and envy in, in the middle of that home, and that, that there, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. In chapter 22, we read about how God puts Abraham to the ultimate test. There, he finally gets his only son that he's been promised for all these years. And he says, Abraham, take your son and place them on the altar and sacrifice him. And at the very moment when Abraham had that dagger raised high, he heard the voice. And there God promised that he would provide a lamb. And chapter 23 is the chapter I'll stop. But Sarah's life comes to an end. Remember, at age 65, she was called to follow her husband and go from one country to another. And she dies at age 127. 
we think about this, so many thoughts come to our mind. But what lessons of faith can we glean from Abraham and Sarah? Specifically today, Sarah. Well, the first thought of three I want to share with you is if you have your Bibles there, let's go back to Hebrews 11 and let's zoom in and focus on verse 11. Now remember, in, in, in Hebrews 11 verse 8, all the way down to verse 19, is literally the story, the historical narrative summarized by the writer of Hebrews from Genesis 11 to Genesis 25. But I want to zoom in and focus on two verses, verse 11 and verse 12 today, for our application. Look at verse 11. The first part of this verse says, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. The first thought today I want to relate to you is God is a strength-empowering God. God is a strength-empowering God. I mean, imagine if you're 65 years old. There there's might be a handful of you here today that are exactly 65 years old, but I know there's more than a handful that perhaps are older than 65 years old. But, but let's just assume today that, 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 you're, that for those of you who are 65 plus, imagine God waking you up in the middle of the night and made you a promise and said, you're going to have a son. How would you like that message? Probably wouldn't like that message for sure. But here is a woman who, by the standards of our day, is well past the age of bearing children. And God makes her a promise in Abraham. And here I believe that, that whenever God makes a promise to his people, he will always equip us with the ability and strength to carry out that promise and, and let me share with something with you. I didn't share this in the summarization, but if you want to take your Bibles and turn back to Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis 18, we, we read about this story where these three people come, these three men come, and one of them we believe is, is God incarnate there in the flesh and perhaps two angels with them. But, but it's interesting that, that, that when in verse 11 of Genesis 18, the Bible says that, that it literally says that Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, the King James word. In other words, they were no longer teenagers. They were not in their 20s. They were not in their 30s. And they weren't even in their 40s. They were well beyond the age 85. And it, it says that, that, that it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. In other words, it was saying that she's reached the age where she's just not going to have children. And then as Sarah hears this, she just laughs within herself in verse 12, saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord or my husband being old also? And then listen to this. Check this out. This is where I love the response. The Bible says, the Lord said to Abraham. This is God speaking to Abraham. This is not another character. This is not his relative Lot or, or, or anybody else. It says, wherefore did Sarah laugh? In other words, why is Sarah laughing? Shall I have a surety bear a child, which am old? And notice this. Listen to this question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Let me ask you something today. Do you believe that God can do all things within his capability and power and strength? Absolutely. Amen. Let me ask you something. Do you think it was too hard for God to create the world with his spoken word? Do you think it was too hard for God to, to plague this world with a globalized flood? like he said he did in Genesis? 
Do you think it was too hard for God to raise up a man named Moses and to, to lead the Israelites to the, to, to, through the wilderness journey by a, a pillar of fire and a cloud? Do you think it was too hard for God to, to allow Moses to raise up his rod and to send a strong east wind to part the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land? Do you think it was too hard for God to, to rain down manna from heaven to feed the Israelites throughout the wilderness journey? Do you think it was too hard for God to pour out water from a rock so the Israelites could, could quench their thirst? Do you think it was too hard for God to raise up Joshua after Moses so that they could walk along, across the Jordan Sea on dry land? Do you think it was too hard for God to, to catch up Elijah through a whirlwind and take him up to heaven? Let me ask you something. Do you think it was too hard for God to, to raise up a little young lady by the name of Mary to bear the Son of God without ever knowing a man sexually? Do you think it was too hard for God to come and live in the flesh and die for the sins of humanity? Do you think it is too hard for God to, to be placed on the cross and to be placed in a tomb and raise the third day? Listen, I don't know if you've read through the Bible before, but what you'll find out is the Bible is a miraculous book, revealing how God is a miraculous God. And if you have a hard time believing that God can take a 90-year-old woman and give birth to a son, then you're going to have a hard time believing that Mary's going to give birth to a son named Jesus who never knew a man. If you have a hard time with this story and narrative of Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a hard time with every other event in the Bible. And so I bring all that to say this, is that surely God can do all of these things, but God can also step into our life and help us. Listen, you might be here today and, and you might need God's strength to empower you through a season of illness. And God can do that. You might be here today and, and you might be uh, going through the valley of grief and sorrow. Is it too hard for God to step in and help you through that grief? Listen, whatever it is, maybe you're here today and, and you are like perhaps Sarah was. And she could not give birth to children. God is sovereign over that. And maybe you're here today and... And maybe you've been bitter with God all these years. God can equip you with the strength and empower you to overcome those thoughts from the enemy. My friend, today, as we look at this, if God gave Sarah the strength to have a child at the age of 90, don't you think God can give you the strength to get through anything you're going through? You say, well, I have children today, Brother Brian, that you, you just don't know their story. They, 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 they grew up in church and, and all that and, and all these different things, and they're just like running hog wild from God. Haven't you read the story of the prodigal son? Haven't you read the time where God saved a guy by the name of Saul, who is a murderer and a persecutor of the church? Don't you think God can step in and gloriously and miraculously bring them back to his fold? Yes, absolutely we do. So whatever you're going through today, listen, God is a strength-empowering God. But my question for you is this, is do you believe God is a strength-empowering God? Will you look at with me the next part of verse 11? We get this idea that God gave Sarah the strength to, to, to endure this, and she did endure it. But then it says, all these different things, after she was past age, it says, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Secondly today, God is a faithful, trusting God. As I read this, I think about how, how 
Sarah is literally exclaiming through the writer of Hebrews that God is faithful and we can trust him. This word faithful, it gives this sense that, that, that whoever this term faithful is about, that this person is absolutely, totally trustworthy. And I believe God is that way. But in Genesis chapter 16, just think about this. That is the scene where Sarah actually was not full of faith. She lacked faith. As we study the life of Abraham and Sarah, we know they were wealthy people. They had cattle, they had possessions, and they had servants. And that is a clear indication in the ancient world that those people were wealthy by their standards of that day. And so Sarah, who wanted a son so bad, 10 years after that promise was made, she allowed Abraham, who should have never done this, by the way, to go in and sleep with their servant and to have a child. Now, let me just pause and say this. Is that when we lack faith and trust in God, we will make horrible decisions in life. And sometimes when we lack faith and trust in God, we will make decisions that will not only impact me, myself and I, but it will impact my children's, 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 children. And so what we see in the life of Abraham and Sarah is at the moment when she lacked faith in God, she stepped in and she tried to bring it all into her control and her power. But, but as we read this story, we see that God is sovereign over whether you have children or whether you don't have children. Listen, God is sovereign over that area. You could do all the necessary steps to make sure you are not going to have children, but hey, God can step in and show you otherwise. You could make all the appropriate steps to make sure you have children, and God can step in and show you otherwise. God is sovereign. So if you're here today and you have children, you are to count that as a blessing from God. But if you are here today and you are in, in the shoes where you don't have children, you are to thank God because that is a blessing that he did not allow you sovereignly to get involved in. God is a faithful, trusting God. But also, as we think about her lack of faith, let's think about her, her commitment in faith. I want, to, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6. It's interesting that whenever you're studying a character in the Bible, you should always find the cross-references of where they're also mentioned in Scripture, Old and New Testament alike. And in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 3, we read about how Paul in, in excuse me, Peter in this discussion, he, he's, he's honing in on a lot of different particulars here, but he's, he's actually honing in on these different concepts of the family. He speaks to husbands in this context. He speaks to wives. And in, and in other passages, just like in chapter 2, he would speak to servants and he would speak to masters. In other words, he's hitting every aspect of society, whether you're an employee, whether you're an employer, whether you're a, a husband, whether you're a wife, whatever it is, he's hitting them here. And in 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 6, in fact, let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, For after this manner in the old time the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. But then look at, listen to this. It says, verse 6, Even as Sarah 
obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now listen, I, I don't think this means that we need to, that all of you ladies need to walk into your home and you need to just look to your husband and say, you are Lord. I don't think that's what this means. What this means is that Sarah recognized that the highest authority in the home was her husband. And the Bible, I know this is not very popular today, but in Ephesians 5 and throughout Scripture, the Bible lays out the proper order of the home, just like he lays out the proper order of the church. But here, the Bible says that, that Sarah obeyed Abraham, even when she should not have obeyed him, she did. When Abraham asked Sarah two times, say, tell them you're my sister. Because you know why he said that? I didn't share this earlier. But the reason why he said that is because he was afraid, not necessarily that they're going to take her from him, but they were going to kill him and then take her. So he was afraid that he was going to die. So when Sarah was willing to trust God in all these areas, so she lacked faith at one moment, but then she's, interestingly enough, recorded in this chapter as the, all, the only other woman mentioned in this chapter of faith is, is Rahab. And I find that so remarkable about how we can have just a little bit of faith and trust God and God can step in. You say, well, you just don't understand my husband. You just don't understand my wife. You just, you just don't get it, Brian. I mean, how can you get it? I mean, <laughs> you're not even married. <laughs> you're right, I'm not. But, but what I can say is this, is that you can trust God for that situation. I don't understand all the particulars in Peter, but what I do know is it lays out the proper order of the home. That, that the husband of the household is to be the highest authority. Now, that doesn't mean a dictatorship. But what it means is that the woman, whenever there comes to a place in that home where there's a hard final decision to make, generally speaking, the Bible says it should be placed into the highest authority of the home. Just like in the local church, if there is a, a, a hard issue to be, to be dealt with, the Bible actually says that should be left to the elders to decide, the pastors who lead. Now, that being said, let me ask you a question now. Do you believe that God is a faithful, trusting God? Hey, listen, maybe you're here today and you have an unbelieving husband or an unbelieving wife. Can you trust God that God will save them? Can you trust God that God will move uh, through your strong faith in him? I hope that you will. But now let me share with you from verse 12 of Hebrews 11. It says, Therefore, sprang there even of one. He goes on to say that as many as the stars of the sky in multitude and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Do you have a favorite beach you like to go to? My favorite beach that I've ever been to is Malibu Beach in Southern California. It, it is like paradise on earth. Now, I know you probably like Myrtle Beach. It's just a little too busy for me. But, but you probably like that beach, or maybe you like um, some other beach, whatever it is. Maybe you like the Outer Banks, whatever it is. But just could you imagine going to the beach, whatever your favorite beach is right now in your mind, and trying to count every single grain of sand on the, on the shore? Do you think you could do that? You think you can? No, I don't think you can. Or let me ask you this. Let's say you go out in the middle of the night. Let's say it's 2 a.m. You get your telescope out, and you're going to try to count all the stars and constellations in the, in, the, in the outer space. You think you can do that? I'd like to see you try. In fact, some people say that there's enough stars in, in the universe 
that we could all own at least 11 trillion of them. Now, I have no idea how they came to that figure, but that's what I've heard. Now, I say that to say this, is that God made Abraham and Sarah a promise that they're not just going to have a son, but they're going to have a mighty nation of so many people that they will not be able to count them because they won't be able to be counted. Now, as I think about that, I think about the third thought today. God is a promise-keeping God. He is. Listen to this. This is something that, that, I, that I have really been giving a lot of thought to as I've been thinking about this, is that Sarah was 65 years old. 25 years goes by. She's 90 years old. Okay? Her son Isaac is born at the age of 90. She dies at the age of 127. So for 37 years, every time she looked at Isaac, she was reminded that his name means laughter and that God made him a promise. 37 years, every day, when, she, when the family would gather together for, for a meal or when they would go walking out or, or they would be doing anything around the house or going out into to the marketplace for business, whatever it is, every time she saw her son, Isaac, it was a reminder that God keeps his promises. So I wonder today, do you believe that God is going to keep his promises? Today, I'm thankful that the greatest promise that has ever been made is that God promised in Genesis chapter 3 that the Messiah would come. God made a promise that, that the Messiah would not just come and be clothed in flesh and wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in the manger, but the Messiah would come and live a sinless, perfect life, thought, word, and deed. He didn't sin in, in the way he thought in his imaginations. He never sinned in the way he spoke to, to other people. He never sinned in the actions that he did in his life. In every area, he was found blameless and totally sinless. And God also promised that that Messiah, as Isaiah 53 and, and Psalm 22 and many of the other prophets spoke about, how that Messiah would die in our place on the cross and take our punishment. He would take my sin that I've committed and he would put that onto the account of Christ. It's so interesting. In Sunday school, Brother Joel's been going through this, this concept in Colossians about the handwriting of an ordinances. And it's so interesting is that when we read that verse in Colossians, it, it gives the idea that in every area that you broke the law, that's what Jesus took to the cross. In every area that you are imperfect, God can step in and forgive you and make you holy. Do you believe that God is a promise-keeping God? Do you believe that for all those who put their faith and trust in Christ, that heaven is their home? Well, I do. I believe that, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is God. And at every knee, at some point, either in this life or the life to come, will bow down to him and confess that he is Lord. Now, I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, well, Brian, this is a really cool story and all. I just, I just don't believe somebody at that age could ever have a child. I just, I just won't accept it. Well, that's okay. Because I want you to, to hear me out. USA Today, that is a credible source by any sense of our um, standard. 
And in 2019, in fact, the actual article date is September the 6th, 2019. You can go check it out. I'll be happy to send it to you in a text message, all right, or email it to you, or private message you on social media. But did you know that a 74-year-old woman from South India gave birth to her first children? Yeah, you heard me correctly. I said children. She gave birth to twins. Listen to this article. In fact, on September the 6th, 2019, at 1.26 p.m. from USA Today, they affirmed by saying a 74-year-old Indian woman has become the oldest mother in the world after giving birth to twins. The couple, after talking to these news media outlets, said that they were the happiest couple on earth because their dreams have finally come true that they would have their own child. 74-year-old. If you're 74-year-old, today, would you like to have a child at that age? Absolutely not. But I I bring that all up to say that, hey, 16 years is not too far off. And and here we see that, that if you're not willing to believe by faith what the word of God says, I could lay out you stat after stat after stat after stat, and you're still not gonna believe it. So at the end of the day, is yes, I believe the Bible is the word of God. Yes, I believe that, that God is a promise-keeping God. Yes, I believe that he is a faithful, trusting God. Yes, I believe that he's a strength-empowering God. But it all stems on one word. And you know what that word's called? Faith. Would you say faith with me? Faith. Today, we've looked at the faith of Sarah. But let me ask you something. When somebody comes to stand at your funeral... And to speak about you, what would they say about your faith? Would they say that you were a person who believed that God gave you strength to endure the trials of life? Would they say that you were a person who believed and trusted faithfully in the promises of God and that he would keep his promises? Listen, God is a strength-empowering, faithful-trusting, promise-keeping God. What's up, guys? Brian here again just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.